0: you would take your Bibles, and I want you to turn to Daniel 6 for a second. Daniel 6, verse 1. So it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account... So that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps. Because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. The whole kingdom. They find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault. Because he was faithful. And no error or fault. fault. These men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O Darius, live forever. All of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any makes petition for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. So now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. And when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. I'm going to actually ask you to turn back to Daniel chapter 5. I want to walk through some things in Daniel 5 before we get to chapter 6. So we're going to find Daniel today dealing with two lion's dens, a literal lion's den that has real lions in it. And then sometimes we face kind of a lion's den in life with people. People in authority over us, and Daniel is going to have um, both of those. As we begin today, I want to talk uh, um, the majority of our time today about the inside life that matters to God. That it's easy to do the actions of Christianity. It's a different thing to have our heart engaged. And so we're going to look and talk about that today. As we begin, I want to tell a story about the 40 martyrs of Sebaste in 320 AD. They are known as the 40 martyrs in the famed 12th Legion of Rome's Imperial Army. There were 40 soldiers who professed faith in Christ. One day their captain informed them that the Emperor Licinius had sent out an edict commanding that all the soldiers were to offer a sacrifice to a pagan god. These Christian warriors said to their commanding officer, you can have our armor, you can even have our bodies, but our heart's allegiance belongs to Jesus Christ. Because of their stance, they were marched out onto a frozen lake in the midwinter of A.D. 320 and stripped of their clothes. At any time, they could renounce Christ and be spared from death. Instead, they huddled close together and they sang... Their song of victory, it wasn't a real complicated song. It was this, 40 Martyrs for Christ. And they kept saying it and singing it over and over. That freezing night saw 39 of the 40 fall to their icy graves. There was but one man left and he stumbled to the shore in the morning and renounced Christ. As the officer in charge of guarding these men listened to their singing... He had secretly known the gospel and come to faith in Christ on the shore as he watched the men out there. He immediately replaced the man who had renounced Jesus and walked out onto the ice, threw off his clothes, and confessed his faith in Christ. At sunrise, the Roman soldiers found not 39 men, but 40 men who gave their all for the cause of Christ. There is a treasure that can be known that comes from knowing Christ, that, that supersedes any kind of difficulty, any kind of challenge to our faith. And throughout history, men and women, Old Testament, New Testament, have faithfully trusted God when things were deeply difficult for them. So as we begin this morning, I want to deal with a question that comes up from time to time that people use, you may not know this, but people will use this to discount or try to discount the Scripture. Throughout history, there's not anybody really over um, the Persian Mede uh, um, empire that took over after Babylon, whose name is Darius, who was a king. Now, there's a guy named Darius at that time, but not one that appears here who is a king. And so I wanted to deal with this in case you ever face it before. Um, And so one option about this is Darius is just another name for King Cyrus. We know Cyrus is the great long... uh, a Persian king who eventually allows the Jews to come back to rebuild the, the city and to be, rebuild the, the temple. So one view is he's just this is just another name uh, for um, Cyrus. A second one is that Darius, they say, is actually um, a son of Cyrus, whose actual name is Cambyses, who served with his father. Now another view of this is, and it's one that I probably lean to a little bit more, is that there was a guy at that time by the name of Gubaru, G-U-B-A-R-U. And he was a high official who was actually found in ancient documents. Now, the name Darius is a name of honor during that time, which means one who holds the scepter, which means he was a person of honor in the kingdom who would have been given kind of a scepter in a sense of great authority in the kingdom. And so there is someone... Um, back then who is who goes by that name Um, he was given authority the ancient documents talk about to um, appoint regents and leaders Um, he was able to appoint army officers and and things of that nature he could extend taxes and excise taxes upon the people of the land and so it's either one it's either number one it's just another name for cyrus Um, but it seems to me that you've got two names there we're going to encounter cyrus in a minute if it was Cyrus, call him Cyrus, and that way it's clear. So I, have a, I, I just lean toward the third option, that this is actually one um, who's not Cyrus, but one who um, was a, a leader that Cyrus had given him authority during that time. Darius just lives two more years. And then um, Cyrus is the name that we, that we see in the rest of this. So I want to begin just to kind of talk about... <clears throat> What leads up to Daniel having this new role. He's had a significant role uh, in the Babylonian Empire, but the Babylonian Empire is going to um, crumble. And So look with me in chapter 5 and let's read the first four verses. This is the day that the Babylonian Empire falls. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, When he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. And they drank wine and praised the gods of silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So let me kind of give you the the setting. So Belshazzar's father is the guy named Nabonidus. He's off fighting for the kingdom. The only remaining aspect of the Babylonian empire is the city of Babylon. Everything else has been crumbled. While the army is dealing with this, this army of the persians and the medes that has risen up his father is out fighting that the son is back home partying he's like okay they're out there this is the last night this everything's going to end on this night and so he's just there continuing to do this now daniel has been in babylon for a long time almost 70 years now he is an older man he's in his mid to late 70s he's in his 80s Some people even say he's about 90 years old by this time because we're not for sure exactly how old he was uh, when he went. But he's an older man now and he's survived in his place of leadership through four different other kings after Nebuchadnezzar. The Medes and Persians have been gathering up their armies. They have been marching. They have been taking over the Babylonian Empire. Now they're on the outside of Babylon and ready to take it over. Um, the history of that, if you, you can go and read the history of that, how they, um, they used to have, they had water that ran underneath the city of Babylon that fed water into it. Um, they were able to drain it and walk under the city in shallow water to come inside and basically took over without even a battle. Because the king inside is with all of his leaders and they're getting drunk and having a party and have no idea what is happening and taking place at the city nations rise and fall with regularity it has been that way throughout history it will continue to be that way the rise and fall of nations and leaders should have nothing to do with the continuance of our faith this was the way it was with Daniel he had gone through multiple kings now he's about to have a new empire take over and he's going to have a new role in this new empire. And nothing with Daniel through all of the kings of Babylon and then the kings and leaders in Persia touch his faith. There's a treasure that Daniel found. There's a subtleness in his bones that Daniel found that he never compromised his faith in any way. But I want to begin today and I want to deal with something that I think is important for us to see. What are the characteristics of these kingdoms who once have great power and great authority and great influence, what are the characteristics when they fall? What are the things that seem to have in common? And I think there's three things that have in common that we see in the first part of chapter 5, and I think we have these up on the screen. There is deep idolatry and indifference that has fallen into Babylon. And the first thing I want us to see, that a fallen kingdom, a fallen nation, always falls when there is great indifference in the kingdom. His father is fighting. He likely knows, Belshazzar knows, that the end is there. So he gathers a thousand of his nobles. They're partying as the kingdom is crumbling. So why so much indifference? Why doesn't he care? Why isn't he willing to fight? Why is he not willing to stand here's what it is and it and it pervades our culture today it's called individualism y'all know that word where people just live for themselves they speak of well i can have my own truth there's not an absolute truth there's not a truth i can each person can individually have their own truth and it can change moment by moment in any kind of way and so here is the king he's indifferent totally anything that is going on in the kingdom we see things in our land today that are not good and yet we continue to have officials locally nationally um, whatever the case may be who act as if all is good and nothing needs to be addressed and nothing needs to be said and there's literally nothing new there's great indifference when nations crumble when the leaders have great indifference to what's going on. Indifference, secondly, leads to what we see in the text here. It leads to indulgence. Great indifference always will lead to indulgence. The chief aim of Belshazzar is not one of integrity, but of indulgence, of pleasing the body. And so as the kingdom is crumbling, he's thinking of himself, and they are indulging themselves on the last night of the Babylonian kingdom you look around at our culture today and it just seems as if indulgence in every kind of area that is not good for families not good for cities and counties and states just seems to be increasing at a faster rate and so we as god's people we we need to learn from what we'll see in daniel today is that we we stay the course right we continue to walk with god and and to be passionate with walking with him So every kingdom that falls, there's a great indifference in the kingdom. There's great indulgence morally of just pleasing of self and, and that. And here's the third principle that you see there. So they bring in these vessels. He's like, hey, as we're celebrating, you know, Nebuchadnezzar brought all these great vessels from the temple in Jerusalem. They've just been stored away. Let's bring out the fine stuff. So they go and they get it and they bring it out. They drink from it. And the text tells us there that as they are doing that, that they praise the gods of gold and silver and all of these things. And the third principle is this. Every great nation that falls has a deep indifference that is connected to the leadership of the nation that filters down to the people. There's great indulgence morally that brings a crumbling to that. And when you have indifference and you have indulgence, you always have idolatry. You have a nation that is worshiping things that have been made somewhere by people. And this, this you can go back to. You can look at any, particularly the Western nations. But you look at any nation and you will see these principles that were there. Daniel 5.4 tells us that they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood. And stone. Using them in this way would cost them his life. Look at verse 5 now. God has an opinion on this, by the way. And immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed. And his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. And the king called Lali to bring in the enchanters, the, the Chaldeans and the astrologers. And the king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in and they could not read the writing or make known the king's interpretation and then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. Let me just stop there for a moment, and I want to talk about the handwriting of God just for a moment. God God has always been writing, writing to his people, to communicate to them, to know what his word says. And so God, supernaturally, this would have been... A, a, I mean, just a crazy moment to see a hand by itself. This is not a cartoon. This is not any of that kind of stuff. I mean, this is not CGI. This is like real hand writing on the wall. Three phrases for Him. God's writing can, can bring the highest freedom to life. And the greatest power to, to exalt our, to lift up our faith in our trust of God or God's writing can crumble a life because he knows something again supernatural has happened in the room where they are partying something incredible has happened God will step into a life and he will change it for good or God will put his hand in the party to write a bit of info that will crumble a life before him and so God rights and nobody in the kingdom knows anything thirdly we just read there that nobody knows what to do nobody knows how to interpret it but now look at verse seven no excuse me verse 10 the queen because of the words of the king and his lords came into the banqueting hall and the queen declared "O king live forever let your thoughts not alarm you or your color change There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. So, the third thing I want to point out this morning that I think is really important for us to see this is that the world's ways are always short of what God has designed and purposed. There's just a shortcoming of the world's thoughts and the world's ways. Nobody in the kingdom knows anything about how to interpret what has been written on the wall. Nobody can interpret it so that it would give stability to the legs of the king, that he would know what to do and what does this mean and bring wisdom and understanding. This is the third time in five chapters in Daniel where the wisdom of man has felled the Babylonian kings. Nobody in the kingdom knows what's going on but there is those who are alive to God that God speaks to and God leads. And Daniel is this one. There is a wisdom of God and there is a wisdom of man. And Paul spoke of it this way. 1 Corinthians 1.21 For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe into everybody's life, into some kind of moment, a dilemma will arise where nothing can be solved except the writings of Scripture and the teaching and the revelation of Scripture. Everything else will fail. Man's laws will fail. Man's wisdom. Whatever the case may be, they will fail. Again, this is the third time in five chapters where the wisdom of man has failed the kings of Babylon. And they are perplexed at the writing of God. Have you had a conversation with somebody last year or so lately who doesn't know the Lord and you're trying to communicate things and and it's really clear to you what you're communicating? And they're like, what are you talking about? And they they can't understand it. They don't get it. And this is the way it has been a lot. It will continue to be that way. And so what does our role become In a culture that doesn't understand, we continue to try to explain, continue to teach, continue to try to help people to understand things. So God is written in the room. Nobody gets it. Nobody understands it. Now, it's interesting in the text, this new generation of leaderships has lost their understanding of recent history. Who have they forgotten about? Who do they not know? They don't know Daniel. They don't know how Daniel was significant. And this is just a period of probably about 30 years or so. And they don't know anything, or maybe a little bit longer than that. So this new generation doesn't know anything about Daniel. They've lost the value of having him to be a great age to the nation at its great height. From Daniel chapter 1 to Daniel chapter 5, it's actually been longer than that. I forgot about it. It's been about 66 years since Daniel chapter 1 verse 5 to Daniel chapter 5 if daniel was 10 or 12 years old when he got to babylon he's a pretty old man now he had 66 years um to that and it seems that nobody knows about who he is and that he had a significant role once in the kingdom and so it takes an older person all you older people look at me this morning i'm gonna affirm you and you should be affirmed if you don't think you're an older person come ask me later and i'll tell you if you are or not Because we've lived longer, we should have stories to tell of the work of God in our lives, in the churches that we've been, in the mission trips that we've been on, that must be told to the younger generation. So if you're grandparents, if you think it's an insignificant story to you, that happened a long time ago where God did something. Tell the story. Tell it. So here we have a new leader who has no idea that Daniel has been significantly influential in his life that he doesn't even know about because of the way that Daniel invested his life and helped King Nebuchadnezzar. So it takes the queen mother, who we believe is Nebuchadnezzar's wife, to come into the room and says, hey, there is somebody in the kingdom who can tell you what that writing is. And again, this is our role in our current culture today, where everybody has a truth, where everybody has a this, and everything is okay, that we speak a clear understanding of what God is speaking. And so Daniel, like him, we are called for the long haul to stay at this, to remain faithful, even when we have a prominent place or we have lost a prominent place. Likely, we said this very before, there's some great people in this room, but likely in another 50 years, nobody's going to remember us except for some people in our family line. And so it must be worth it for us to invest and live now, tell the stories of God and the work of God, because when we're, going to be, we're gone one day, we will be forgotten, but everything's okay. We don't want to be well-known here. We want him to be well-known here. And we want to live in such a way that he is honored. And so though Daniel's influence had been lost, somebody remembered that was older and said, King, there is somebody who's got an answer to this. And so Daniel comes in. I love what she says about him. In whom is the Spirit of God, in whom was light. He he had wisdom and understanding, this Daniel. He had an excellent spirit within him that speaks of his attitude. And he had knowledge of mysteries. I love what verse 12 says. Look at verse 12 again. These things were found in this Daniel. This is the queen speaking. Whom the king named Belteshazzar... But look what she says next. And now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. I think she honors his faith, his lifelong faith, and what she knew to be true by not calling me his Babylonian name, but by calling him his Hebrew name. And I think she knew this is a man that loves his God and has been used in our kingdom, and powerful things happened through him. His Jewish name never got swallowed up into the Babylonian culture. And I think it indicates the incredible faith that he made throughout, he had throughout his life. So look at the story here. God always does some very unique things. Here's Daniel who's been forgotten, steps into a room of a thousand people and gets to proclaim God, gets to proclaim the message, gets to proclaim what God has written and God has spoken. I love what we see of him. He doesn't come in and say, "Why did y'all forget me?" He doesn't feel sorry for himself. He's just ready when God calls His name again to do something, to step into the moment and to be faithful and to be ready whenever God needs Him. In Belshazzar, you find in him, he's full of pride. He ignores what he knows to be true. So look with me in in verse 22 now. And you, his son, Belshazzar, you have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up your... This is Daniel speaking. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose all are your ways, you have not honored Him. So Daniel just calls him out and says, you're full of pride. You've ignored what you knew to be true you lifted up yourself against the lord of heaven the god of heaven this god of heaven is the source of very life's breath and you have ignored his breath you have dishonored him you have misused god's vessels dedicated to him and you've used them in unholy ways and with unholy people and he is being called into account in the moment for his evil and his mocking of god and so look at 24 and then from his presence the hand was sent and this writing was inscribed and this is the writing that was inscribed mene mene tekel and parsin this is the interpretation of the matter mene god has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end tekel You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Now look at 29. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple and a chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. And that very night, 30 says, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Now I want to make note just fourthly this morning that the value of our godliness and the value of our integrity matters. It mattered greatly in Daniel's life. It kept his faith strong. It mattered to bring explanation about things that it enabled him to be able to proclaim in front of a thousand people on this night about who God is and the glory of who He is. In that very moment, it is over with. And now there is a transition that happens in Daniel's life. So we read chapter 6 a while ago, and let's begin to kind of walk through chapter 6 for a moment. So Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Persian... Serve, I believe, as kind of a dual role. Darius in this part of Babylon taking care of that and, and ministering and setting up things. And again, he lives about two more years that we understand from history. He was an incredibly organized person. Immediately went about setting up new things. You've, you've become a new king. And you've become a new ruler, and so you need some organization, and you need some direction, and he immediately begins to do that. But the question comes is, what's going to happen to Daniel? So he's, he's been there almost 60. He's been there 60-something years now. So what's going to happen to him? He's just been used again to come into a room to proclaim God and to give the message and the interpretation, a supernatural moment. But what's going to happen to him? Well, God's not through with him. Most often when new regimes came in, all the old leaders were what? They were killed. You've got to get rid of the old people because they're going to cause problems for the new king. But this is not the case. Immediately, Daniel stands out to Darius and has made the most significant ruler in the kingdom now under this new king. Daniel possessed something that no one in the new kingdom and the new leadership, under the Medes and the Persians that anybody else had. You know what the difference was? He had a living relationship with God. And it made every bit of difference. And it should make every bit of difference in your life and my life. So he he immediately is seen as trustworthy, important. He would follow through with things. His integrity was impeccable. And so Darius... GREATLY affirmed him. But I want to note this and say this to us as we begin to walk through this. Sometimes our faith gets honored by people in leadership or some other aspect of things, but it doesn't mean that we're going to have good relationships, that other people aren't going to have a problem with the honor that we've been given by other leaders. And this is the case. Everybody around Daniel. The satraps and the other leaders are like, okay, we don't like him. We don't like that this foreigner is now the number two person under Darius. And yet, Daniel continued to maintain his faith. This is interesting about God, and I don't know if you find it interesting about God. There was a prophecy that was given to Hezekiah who was a king of Judah, that eventually in the future, some of the descendants of Hezekiah would be sent away. This was written about 100 years before it happened. They would be sent away, and they would um, be forced to become eunuchs in the kingdom of the Babylonians. It is quite possible that when Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel get there, that they were um, made eunuchs as young boys, In the kingdom of Babylon. So you think about that. Never having any kids. Never married. um, All of these aspects and different things. And yet Daniel all through that. Unbelievable difficult situations. Every turn. Stands out. As a person alone. Who lives a passionate life. For the glory of God. And so we find Daniel here. He's distinguished, it says. He stood out above them all. He's already had experience with foreign leaders. He's already shown great wisdom connected to God. He's been faithful. He knew the commands of God. It says of him that he has an excellent spirit within him. It, it just God just oozed out of him. You ever met anybody like that? And It's just from their life, there's, just, there's something unique, and this was Daniel. And I believe because he was distinguished and because of his excellent spirit, he stood above everybody else because everybody else was living for themselves in their position. Daniel was living for God. So in the transition of Daniel's life, he immediately finds that he's trustworthy. And this brings us to the sixth thing this morning is that there is a faith that influences others. So we read it a while ago in verses 4 through 9. All of those around him, they are jealous of him. and, And they began to examine his life and began to look at his life to see if they could come up with something to kind of get him out of the way. So everyone in Daniel's inner circle was jealous. And they're like, okay, what do we do to get rid of him out of our lives? And so they began to look at his work integrity. They began to look at his relationship with God. They began to look at how does he treat other Medes and Persians. And they realized they've got to come up with something that could stick to his life to get him out of this role and to get him gone. So they began to watch him themselves. They asked others, have you seen Daniel do anything that would go against the laws of the Medes and Persians? And they couldn't find anything at all. They were so disturbed And so disrupted by the faith of Daniel, because it was clear to them that he had something they did not have. And again, I want to go back to that is this living, authentic, thriving relationship with the living God. I remind us this morning that our lives are a living letter before others that we work with, that we live by, about what we think about who God is. At the end of their search, we don't know how long it took. This is what they learned no grounds for accusation. There wasn't anything they could find to accuse Daniel. Secondly, there was no evidence of any kind of corruption in his life. He didn't take a pen home from work, didn't do anything, couldn't point to anything about his life, big, small, no grounds. Of corruption. And thirdly, there was no negligence in any of his duties. People will be in envy at times of the godly as God places them in places of strategic work. And as they looked at Daniel, there were no skeletons in his closet, no corruption in him could be found at all. His integrity in this pagan environment was impeccable. Couldn't point to anything. And I think it just says this to us. Our faith should be go beyond church life. It's easy this morning to pretend. Sing the songs. Raise the hands. If I were to say pray, let's pray right now, what would everybody do? We bow our head and close our eyes. It's easy to to do the forms, it's much more authentic and sometimes difficult to be obedient when nobody else around is supporting and encouraging in the moment. And this is Daniel. They could find nothing. Our faith life should go beyond church life and it should influence and inform every aspect of our lives. And we're going to see in six five there that Daniel will suffer for righteousness' sake. He does what's right and suffers for it. Sometimes that happens. You do what's right. People in the company don't like you because you're a believer and you walk with God in obedience. And maybe you take some stands about some things and you're passed over. That's actually an honor if something like that were to happen and take place. So Daniel has not done anything but sell out to God. And he's guilty of that. They will find him guilty of selling out to God, wholehearted in pursuit of God. So they come to Darius. Darius, we've got an offer for you. You can be a God for 30 days, a God for a month. This is, this is what we're going to offer you. And then we've got some disappointing things after that. After 30 days, you've got to go back to just being Darius. You don't need to be a god anymore. But for 30 days, you're going to be this. And so nobody can pray. Nobody can do anything except honor you. And he's like, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, okay, I'll go for that. We're going we're gonna to bring you a document. And when we bring that document to you, we want you to, to sign it. And then it will become law. Now, the Medes and the Persians had a a government philosophy that was this. You don't quickly make laws in the country that you can just cancel out the next day if you wanted to. And so they thought about things that were going to, but on this day, they didn't think about it. He just thought, that sounds really good. Okay, let's draw this up and I'll sign it and we'll put this into place. I've wondered about the satraps and the other leaders when they are around Daniel. Why did he have such influence on Darius and Nebuchadnezzar? And he didn't have influence upon the others. And I think there's a simple explanation that Paul gives us. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. And among those who are perishing to one a fragrance from death to death. To the other a fragrance from life to life who is sufficient for these things. When they <laughs> smelled and looked at Daniel's life, they're like, I don't want to have anything to do like that even though that you're different. He was the smell of death to them. But to Darius, Daniel was the smell of life because, because Daniel didn't think of himself. He thought of God's glory and God was blessing him and it brought goodness to Darius's reign. Daniel was a blessing to Darius. The others know that Daniel's not going to give in. So they go right after where he is strongest with lies. Let me remind us of something that Peter, who knew about this as well, who lived under great persecution, that applies to this. Listen, this is 1 Peter 2.11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct, Peter writes, among the Gentiles honorable. Live honorable among those that don't know the Lord. So that when they speak of you and they say to you, that's an evildoer, that's a follower of Christ, that's an evildoer. So when they speak of you as evildoers, they are forced, Peter says there, that they may see your good deeds and they can't do anything but glorify God on the day of visitation when Christ, because they're like, okay, no, that, that's godliness. And so this was the way Daniel lived. This is the way Peter told us and instructed us. So there is a faith life that is influential. So what do you do when you hear that a document has been signed that's going to send you to the lion's den? Should you, should you go, well, okay, if this is 30 days... I'll just be wise and safe for 30 days. I'll just kind of hide my prayers. Maybe I'm finding a new place. But Daniel didn't do any of that. You know what he did when he heard immediately that the document had been signed? Look with me in verse 10 again, Daniel 6. So when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber that was open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and gave thanks to his God as he had done previously. Guess what changed? What changed? Nothing changed. Nothing changed at all. Why? Because Daniel found his freedom in God, not man. And when you and I find our freedom in God in this kind of way... We are not going to change at all. We are going to continue to practice what he had been practicing his whole life. Again, let's say he's 80 years old right now. What we see in verse 10 is what he has been doing for most of the days of his life. This is what he had been practicing. So I'm going to to show you his pattern real quickly. You'll see these up on the screen. This was the pattern of Daniel for his whole life. He lived to please God, not man. So for Daniel, so what that a document had been signed? So what that, that, that Darius had a heart for Daniel and cared about Daniel? He wasn't going to live to please Darius. Daniel knew he had to live to please God. So he lived to please God. He did not give up hope, even though he learned that a new law that was going to cost him his life was there. He just kept on trusting God, I think it's easy sometimes to look around at our world to see why people do become men-pleasers instead of God-pleasers. Listen to this. Sometimes it feels like that people have the power over us, and I guess in a sense, yeah, they do, to make a statement about our lives or to hire us or to fire us, to break our hearts, to slander us, to make our lives generally miserable. But there is one thing that they cannot do to a heart that's alive. They cannot take our heart for God. Oh, they can slander us. They can lie. They can manipulate. They can change laws. They can do all kinds of things. But Daniel's heart could not be stolen. It could not be stolen. You see, the power to obey God and stand for Him comes from a settled understanding that God ultimately is in control of things. Darius is not. God is in control of things. So he lived to please God, not man. Secondly, he set his face toward Jerusalem. He set his face toward God, in other words. This was, there was really not a place where he could hide from anybody. He was just going to continue to practice what he had been practicing. So he just three times a day... By the way, do you know where he learned that you pray in the morning, you pray at noon, you pray at night? He knew that David had written a psalm that we know as Psalm chapter 55 and verse 17, where David writes that he prayed in the morning and at noon and at night. So he had learned reading the scriptures as a boy, probably, in Judah and in exile, in exile, and he had practiced for Sixty-something years now that I get up in the morning and I pray. At noon, I seek the Lord. And then I seek the Lord at night. Thirdly, he took a submissive posture before God. It says he got down on his knees to remind himself that he is not in charge, that God is in charge. It is our joy to keep bowing before the Lord. It is all of our joy to continue to do that. And Daniel knew that if he would consistently bow the knee, it would enable him to consistently bow his heart before the Lord. Fourthly, Daniel knew that prayer would keep his faith alive. He knew that praying was the utmost necessity, so he prayed regularly, even under difficult circumstances. Daniel turned to God in prayer, even when a document signed that meant meant, you're going to the lion's den if you continue to do this. He continued to pray because he knew that he needed God regardless of something being signed or something not being signed. He knew that he needed God, and so he prayed. Fifthly, I love this. I love this, and it's where I wrestle. In my own life. He chose joy as his response to his circumstances. It says that he got down on his knees three times a day. And it says he gave thanks. This is after the document. A death sentence for him. He gave thanks before his God. As he had done previously before the document had been signed. So three times a day. This is how he chose to face the current situation before him. By the way, this disciplined life of Daniel was accomplished without having a youth group, without having a synagogue, without having a Bible app. It had become settled in his bones that walking with God was worth it. He didn't even have Christian music. How did he make it? What a life. What an example. Let me remind us of something I need. I, I go back to Galatians 6 verse 9 in my hard days as a pastor. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Daniel never gave up in the most difficult situations. Will they come and find him? And they go to the king and look at 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed. And he set his mind to deliver Daniel. He had an uh uh-oh moment, uh uh-oh I've been manipulated, and I can't go back. I can't change the law. And he, look what he did. Listen to this pagan king fighting for a godly, Yahweh-worshipping, Messiah-waiting, Jesus-waiting believer by the name of Daniel. He labored till the sun went down to try to figure out a way that he could rescue Daniel. What influence that Daniel had. Look at 15. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, No, O king, that is the law of the Medes and Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. 16. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the lion's den. And the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, Deliver you. How did, let me ask this question. How did Darius know, how did Darius know that Daniel worshiped his God, lived for his God, served his God? How did he know that? I think he knew that because Daniel was not afraid to talk of Yahweh to Darius. And I think Yahweh was all over, and the the Spirit of God was all over Daniel's life. And his life was influential. So, seminary, they tell you not to have eight points, and I have eight points in my sermon this morning, but here it is. They say people are too uninterested to hang in with eight points, but that's not us, is it? That's not us. There is a favor. Listen to this. There is a favor that comes to those who live by faith. And it comes from two places in Daniel's life. It comes from a pagan king doing everything he can all night long. Do you know what he does after Daniel's cast into the lion's den? He stays up all night fasting that somehow Daniel will come out on the other side. So you've got this, you've got this guy who has all these gods that he worships, and yet he's, had, he, he's, he's learned something from Daniel. that There's something different about Daniel's God. And Daniel's different, unlike anybody that Darius has ever met. And he seems to kind of know that, that Daniel's God can deliver. He is able to deliver. Now, whether he does or not, he's not for sure yet. But all night long, this pagan, idol-worshiping king fasts for the safety of Daniel. Seems like it should be the other way around, right? Daniel should be fretting and the king sleeping in his palace. So Daniel is arrested for his life of worship and prayer. They had found enough evidence and they brought him in. There are liberal theologians, I read some this week, who try to downplay the story. These were old lions, old lions, They were lions that had been fed. They were full. They were not interested in eating. Well, verse 24 throws cold water on that because they take the satraps and their families and they throw them into the pit. And the lions, it says, before they even reach the ground, which means there must have been lots of lions literally just destroy the families of the satraps and the other officials. These were hungry lions. They were hungry. They made a practice in those days to do what to the lions? Starve them. So that when someone was thrown into the pit, what would happen? Certain death would come. They have found, by the way, in that part of the world over there, in Iraq and Kurdistan and Iran and places like that, um, in cliffs, they have found these dens where there's a hole in the cliff that drops down and, and there, there was a wall that separated these and they found this through archaeology. And up top, there was, there was a separation and there was a door. So they could, they could throw food down there. They could raise the door up with ropes. The lions would go to the other side. They could shut that and they could go in and they, they could clean up the den. They found these over uh, in that part of the world. So, all other archaeology has proved this story to be true. So, I want to I I emphasize just for a second, and we're almost done, what is not here. What's not said in the text, but it's said in the text. When Daniel is brought before Darius, he doesn't fight or appeal the sentence. He's like Jesus. Do you remember what Isaiah said about Jesus? Do you remember what Jesus did? That when he was before his accusers, he was like a sheep before the slaughter. He just kept his mouth shut. Here was the deal with Daniel. He was like, if I die tonight, okay. My God, who is able, he he can shut the lion's mouths. Either way, I trust. I love God that much that I will trust. So he doesn't defend himself. He doesn't say, I really wasn't praying. I wasn't really. He doesn't defend himself at all. He had violated an unchanging law. And he leaves the outcome to God. And Darius says, may your God who you serve continually deliver you. Daniel's faith life was well known. Daniel's God was known because I believe Daniel spoke. And so Darius gives him favor. God gives him favor. My favorite animal is the lion. Now, in the northern part of Texas, there's a place called Boy's Ranch where troubled boys used to, or boys who had issues were sent to these places to kind of, and they would pour their life into discipling these kids and uh, I went and preached there when I was a, a college student one Sunday. And Pam and I, Pam and I, I don't know, we were early married, not even a year yet. On that campus, they had a mountain lion in a cage. And you could go into the cage and you could sit down with a mountain lion and pet it. Now, my dream is I want to do that with a real lion, not a mountain lion, but an, a lion lion with a big old mane. And I remember Pam and I getting into that and we still have a picture um, from that of like, okay, there's just something not natural about this. If this lion wanted to do something, we're in trouble. And we survived the moment. Obviously, I'm standing before you. But I I, want to put before you, just based on research, that when they lowered Daniel down in there, there were probably at least 30 lions that were starving. And God, through the night, through the power of an angel, kept them shut. Some people tried to debunk Daniel chapter 6, said Daniel, there was probably hay down there, and he got down there and he scampered over and crawled under the hay and hid all night long, and they didn't know where he was. That's, that's, That's in a commentary by somebody who claims to be a follower of Jesus but the favor of God was upon his life. Alexander McLaren wrote these words, people come and go, leaders, teachers, philosophers speak and work for a season and then fall silent and powerless, but God abides. They die, but he lives. They are lights that glow and yet ultimately extinguished, but he is the true light from which they draw their brightness and God shines forevermore. Daniel gets a lot of recognition in the early part of of Daniel. We believe Daniel wrote this record. Um, But when you get to the end of this, you can't praise Daniel. You just have to praise the powerful God that Daniel loved and served and worshiped. You can only exalt him. You might go to, gosh, hasn't Daniel suffered enough? Gosh, God, calm down. Listen to this. God wasn't through developing Daniel. And Daniel was okay with what God was going to allow him to go through. You see, when God shakes us and we are sifted, then we become the kind of people who aren't so easily shaken before men or before lions. God didn't work at all to keep Daniel from the lion's den, but he was present with him in the den, and this is the way things happen Hebrews chapter 11 verse 33 says this who through faith conquered kingdoms enforced justice obtained promises and stopped the mouths of lions Psalm 18:30 says this God his way is perfect the word of the Lord proves true he is a shield for all who take refuge in him for who is God but the Lord and who is a rock except our God the God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. When the morning sun came up, it's believed that Darius was in his late 60s at this time. This older man as well runs to the lion's den. And verse 20 says, as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish because he thought, okay, it's over. I mean, how do you survive? How do you survive a night like that? The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, has he been able to deliver you from the lions? And from out of the pit, Daniel said, O king, live forever. Yeah, yeah, here I is, safe and sound. Look at verse 24. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, again, these are hungry lions. The lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the people's nations, and languages. Listen to this. King Darius wrote to all the nations, peoples, languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and earth. And he who saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Listen to that. He writes to every living person that he has power over. There is a real God. And it's the God of Daniel. Daniel gets a promotion. Last verse of Daniel 6. So please hear this as we close this down. I want to ask this question: Can one, patient, one person can one person impact a nation? Absolutely. Daniel's faith causes the king to write out about Daniel's God because Daniel's God. And verse 28 tells us that Daniel prospered, and I just want to remind us that our prospering should be connected to our faith in God, not from manipulation or any other thing. Daniel's promotion into the kingdom under Darius and eventually under Cyrus. His prospering is connected to his faith in God. So let me give some key lessons as we finish this up. First of all is this. Stand firm, child of God. Stand firm. In a moment of imminent death, it would have been easy for Daniel to step into fear and to stop praying, but Daniel's faith moved him to remain in deep prayer and deep faith. From a young boy to an older man now, Daniel stayed faithful. He was a God-seeker as a young boy and a God-seeker as an old man. Secondly, God's law is greater than than the world's law the law said don't pray but in certain situations we defy the king's orders when they call us to violate our faith in the word of god we are not to disobey all laws we are to obey a lot of laws that are there that are for our good and for societies but when laws call us to compromise our faith God's law takes precedent. Thirdly, God can always be trusted. He can always be trusted. Daniel had practiced his whole life doing those things that we saw him do a while ago. And I just wondered if I and you and we practice a holy habit long enough that there wasn't anything that could ever sway us from what we believed in and how we walked with him. God can either get us out of our trial or He will give us great grace in the midst of our trial. Fourthly, no one can stop us from praying. No one. Listen, Christians, we can keep demanding that all of our secular institutions give more time to prayer or we can teach our children that nobody can keep you from praying. For Daniel, prayer was a matter of life and death. Is, is it for us? He had a place to pray. You and I have one. He had a period of time to pray three times a day. Learned it from Dan David in Psalm 55, 17. Evening, morning, noon. He said, I will pray, I will cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. He had a posture to pray. He bowed on his knees. Eyes open on your bed. Y'all do know that, right? You can pray with your eyes open. You can do that. It's okay to do that. He got at his window, and I think he looked out. There were lattice work. It's hot in Babylon. It's very hot in that part of the world still today. And they would have kind of this lattice work that would allow breeze into the rooms, and Daniel would, would look out and, and look toward Jerusalem. We don't look to, toward Jerusalem. We look to He who has died on the cross. That's who we look to, and we pray looking toward Him. Fifthly, God is an ever-present help. You know that, right? He is an ever-present help. So ask some questions. What critics are you facing in your life today? What lions are you and I facing? What lions' dens are we being threatened to be thrown in And do we trust in the Lord enough that He's going to be with us no matter the outcome? Sixth, last one. We must accept God's will regardless of the outcome. Not every story ends with people being pulled out of the lion's den. Based on statistics, There will be hundreds of people, followers of Jesus today, that will be put into prison and will breathe their last breath today. And so we have to be willing to accept his will regardless of the outcome. Isaiah, prophet, you ever read the book of Isaiah? Such a phenomenal book. You know what happened to him? He was sawn in two. Sawn in two. Jeremiah was put in prison. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded. Stephen was stoned to death. Whichever way it turns out, when we faithfully live for him, we must accept the outcome. We must leave the outcome to God. Great little children's story we looked at this morning. What faith. What faith to find God as that kind of treasure that we will not bow. And here's the thing about Daniel. Can't, I can't wait to meet him one day. You think it be awesome? We get to meet these people. We get to worship Jesus with these people. Christianity, God, relationship with him, what a blessing we have if he could teleport here, whatever, I'm not sorry if I said that word and that bothers you, if he could show up in the room this morning, you know what he would say? It's worth it every second of the day to be a follower of God and to not give in to a lost, broken culture that has no answers. And we, have the handwriting of God to guide our steps. And Daniel would say, it's not me, it's God in me. It's God, the story of our lives. Let's pray.